the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. And a good Wednesday afternoon to you. Welcome. It is, of course, 5 after the hour of 5 p.m. on your either hanging out around the house, commuting back home, or whatever you might be doing on this Wednesday afternoon. Delighted you're along with us. We've got a number of key things to talk about tonight, including an update on the status of Assembly Bill 2218. We talked about this several weeks ago, and uh, honestly, a lot of Californians, including maybe even you here in the Bay Area, responded to the California state legislature and said, oh no, um, coming up with millions of dollars to support sex change services for minors, that would be a child under the age of 18, mm -mm, not going to stand for it. And the assembly backed off. Well, apparently now they're trying to sneak it back in again. We'll get you all the details. Jonathan Keller from the California Family Council will join us later on in tonight's program. Also, I want to remind you, if you've not yet logged on to kfax.com and use the keyword marriage, to uh, sign up for some goodies being offered by our friends at Family Life Today. Well, what are you waiting for? Um, You can run the gambit of receiving a free gift, the Take Your Marriage from Good to Great bundle that includes videos, audio sessions, and other downloads just by simply going to kfax.com and using the keyword marriage. At the same time, you can um, have an opportunity to have dinner with Dave and Ann Wilson, hosts of Family Life Today, and attend a live taping once all of this COVID stuff is behind us. Again, go on to kfax.com, use the keyword marriage. So we hope you'll check that out today and to take advantage of the goodies that they're making available and uh, maybe a nice trip for you too at some point to uh, Florida to go to the taping of Family Life Today and have a dinner with Dave and Ann Wilson. Once COVID is behind us, and who knows when that is going to be. And in the meanwhile, of course, the death toll continues to climb. The United States now with 161,000 deaths so far. And we've seen, of course, issues related to the impact of COVID on the so-called vulnerable classes. These are people with compromised immune systems over the age of 60, people with pre-existing conditions, be it cardiovascular disease, diabetes, things of this sort. Those are all the direct people that may potentially suffer if exposed to COVID-19. But there's an even bigger number, and a number that's difficult to tally, and yet we know it is out there, of people that are impacted by COVID-19. Oh, perhaps albeit not directly through contracting the disease or having a loved one in the family pass away from it, although that could be true, 
but simply because of the kind of stress that this is placing on all of us. And there's anticipation by experts that as this continues to drag from what began as weeks into months into who knows how long before the worst of this is behind us, that the mounting toll directly and indirectly from COVID-19 could be immeasurable. One of the arenas, of course, has been in the uh, impact of COVID-19 on emotional, spiritual, and mental well-being. Dr. Greg Jantz is the founder of the Center for Counseling and Health Resources. He's a best-selling author of more than 25 books that range on topics from addiction to depression to eating disorders. He has been honored recently for running the top clinic in the United States dealing with depression. And Dr. Jantz, always great to have you with us. Oh, good to be with you. Oh, boy, what, what a topic we have today. A lot to unpack, to be sure. And as I say, there's a degree to which the impact of COVID-19 has probably not left a single American unscathed if you've not suffered directly because you've been uh, diagnosed with a disease and spent time perhaps in hospital or you maybe have lost a job because of COVID. Uh, That's sort of the direct cost of the impact of this pandemic. But the the other impact that I, I suppose we're just beginning to really see seriously emerge is the impact of the emotional side of this. So spend some time, if you would, doctor, today talking to us about how there's an even broader class of people, which kind of contains maybe all of us, that can potentially be vulnerable to the secondary and tertiary, so to speak, impact of COVID. Yes, and the impact is uh, certainly that. We know that quarantine, or another word for quarantine could be confinement, has increased uh, alcohol sales by 500 to 600 percent. That's 500 by 600 percent, depending on where you live. We know that addiction rates, in fact, I just have a report from the state that I'm in, addiction rates are very high. Emergency room visits for uh, suicide attempts are up. And we know for our teenagers uh, that uh, the depression numbers uh, are high. Highest right now, though, uh, is anxiety pretty well across all uh, age groups. Anxiety has taken the place now uh, of, if you will, the number one mental health issue that we're faced with. Anxiety means I've got physical symptoms. I've got a sweaty palm, a heart rate that's up, my breathing could be affected, my sleep is affected. So that's anxiety. And uh, that is uh, the highest issue or highest type or disorder that we're facing right now. Of course, in addition to the sense of anxiety, and this can run the gambit of um, somebody in the family and has been diagnosed, to fear of what happens if I get diagnosed, to if I haven't been directly financially impacted by this, how long will that last? And could my job situation suddenly go sour quite per- quickly? And, and I suppose then, too, Dr. Jans, when we add to this sort of perfect storm of many of the elements related to try and protect ourselves from uh, COVID's impact directly, uh, sheltering in place, things of this sort. Well, I, I suppose that feeling of disconnected from society and a lot of the normal um, emotional support systems that many of us have when we go to church and we spend time in, in worship and fellowship, when we spend time visiting with friends, things of that sort, once that's been taken away, doesn't that tend to really 
amplify that sense of fear and anxiety pretty significantly because we have no practical outlet? Absolutely. And one of the things that happens is isolation breeds potential addiction, and isolation is going to uh, increase all the symptoms that you have. So you, you feel depressed, you're going to feel more depressed. You feel anxiety, probably have more anxiety symptoms. So we need to be aware that we need each other. And uh, digital, you know, doing a Zoom uh, or reaching out uh, through social media may be fun and nice for a while and an emergency provision, but it does not replace real-time relationships. And I think that's one of the things we're seeing. One of the probably tragic things we're seeing, too, is uh, the whole issue of school and kids not getting uh, back to school in so many places, um, developmentally, uh, what this is going to do. We've already have stress and strain in a chronic stress situation on families and uh, kids. Uh, we already know from uh, the last round of this, kids, generally speaking, are getting behind and developmentally and socially as well. So there's going to be... Uh, frankly, there's going to be a big price to pay for some of these decisions. Undoubtedly so. And I was supposed to, doctor, those that maybe were a little bit already on the edge, maybe there were some issues in, in a, a challenge related to a relationship or some challenges at work. So there's kind of some, yeah. some underlying stresses there. A lot of that would, I would imagine, tend to be amplified by what we're seeing going on right now, what we're hearing on the news every day, the reporting, that that increased sense of fear that seems to be hampering so many of us. And for people that have already, as I say, kind of been on the edge, doesn't this tend to really put a big magnifying glass on it all? It does put a big magnifying glass on it all. And um, I think the word I, I, I kind of came up with is we're in a pandemic purgatory. <laughs> so it's like... We're in a very awkward limbo place, and it's painful. The past, the recent past was painful, and the future's unknown, and it seems scary. So wherever I look, there's anxiety and uncertainty. And uh, certainly, people uh, will look for a way to cope with that. So often, it ends up being an unhealthy way. You know, and, and now there's, of course, limitations around church and each, you know, each press conference brings another um, rule or restraint. And so uh, this is why we are seeing this, because people have reached their saturation point. They're saturated. And uh, this is why we're seeing in some cases, some people call it a revolt, others call it a revival, um, but we're seeing people who say, now enough's enough. And we're going to see more of this. And undoubtedly, as time goes on, and certainly during this period when we are seeing such severe spiking of not only um, cases but also deaths, uh, that that sense of increased pressure cooker 
that a lot of us are are kind of dealing with right now uh, can really be heightened, especially when so much of what is normal has been taken away from us. Spending time with the family over a vacation, well, that's gone right now. Kids going back to school in a normal fashion, that's likely not going to happen. This has impacted so much of our life that it really becomes incumbent upon all of us to do a really good job not only taking care of each other, but taking care of ourselves. What are some of the key steps, though, to do that? How do you deal with the stress? What do you do if you're just simply feeling stuck right now? We'll talk about that next after a time out. With us today, celebrated best-selling author Dr. Greg Jantz, founder of the Center for Counseling and Health Resources. As I mentioned, he's got a number of phenomenal uh, books out, and you can get more information through the A Place of Hope website when you go to aplaceofhope.com. That's aplaceofhope.com. We'll take a time out. We'll come back to more of our conversation with Dr. Greg Jantz as Lifeline continues. Right now, 517, we're going to get you a look at traffic. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, we're back to our conversation. Dr. Greg Jans is with us today. He is the founder of the Center for Counseling and Health Resources, A Place of Hope. He's a certified counselor and an expert in the arena of addiction and eating disorders and best author of more than 25 books that range from addiction to depression. Information available online at aplaceofhope.com. That's aplaceofhope.com. Boy, this uh, subject matter of the impact of COVID-19 sits so squarely within your wheelhouse, Dr. Jance, because I imagine that not only are a lot of people today dealing with anxiety and the resulting depression, but one thing a lot of us, too, have been struggling with is uh, eating disorder, uh, better known as the COVID belly. <laughs> and I, I right. think the sense of, of trying to sort of self-medicate in a way that whether we're feeling stressed because we're just tired of being cooped up at home or we've lost a job or somebody in the family has been ill, you know, the the sense of self-medication doesn't have to be at the extremes where you're hitting the bottle or hitting, um, you know, uh, maybe using um, drugs. It can be something simply as spending too much time at at the refrigerator. Well, that's the natural thing to do. I'm anxious or I'm depressed. Uh, this is why I, I may turn to food. Depressed people love to have sweet and smooth. In other words, the ice cream or, uh, you know, because it temporarily mood alters us. And we are looking, we're looking for relief. You know, there's a new term out there. You've probably heard it, COVID-15. It's the 15 pounds I've gained. <laughs> so <laughs> you know, what do I do with that? You know, right now, what we have to do, we have to accept the reality of where we are, and that's, that's hard. I mean, that can be a challenge. Uh, but when we accept it, then we're going to do the next thing. This is what healthy people do emotionally. I've got to adapt to this. It seems overwhelming, but I have to adapt, and then I'm going to choose to be stronger, and I'm going to have victory in this. And the victory is going to come because I've got to strengthen the whole person. My, my spiritual well-being has an opportunity to reset. I can reset my physical health. Um, instead of, you know, adding more pounds, I'm going to decide I'm going to make uh, some other changes. Um, I know that for many uh, gyms and health clubs are closed or partially closed. You know what? I'm having people go outside, walk twice a day for 20 minutes, carry that 
favorite scripture verse on a three by five card, start saying it out loud, but get outside. <laughs> so, so those are some of the things we have to do. Is it important to also, um, how should I phrase this, cut ourselves a little bit of slack right now? And by that I mean uh, we're, we're all feeling the stress of what's transpired here. Some of us are dealing with it to better degrees than others. Um, I think that sense of longing for the normal, longing for the routine of what our life was in March that suddenly is so drastically different here in August um, is frustrating. And maybe then, too, as it impacts things like our, our sense of emotional well-being or, or even the ability to, to, to self-motivate, where you were going to the office and you had the boss there and co-workers and you had a chance of kind of, you know, cheer everybody on and get the projects done. Now you're here locked in a spare bedroom at home or sitting at the laptop in front of the, the kitchen table there trying to get self-motivated. Is it important to maybe not be so hard on ourselves? Well, there is a word that comes to my mind. It's the word grace uh, and patience. So right now, you know, we're either going to reset some things in our life. Or we will end up with some regret. Like, I wish I would have done something different. Um, so let's reset. Now, that means uh, we're, we're kind of doing some new things right now. and We're trying to figure this out, the, you know, generally the best we can. So a lot of patience. Uh, self-care, things are going to look different, how I'm going to care for myself might be a little different. But I'm going to find out what does it mean to take care of the whole person and have really good self-care. That includes sleep, am I drinking my water, how's my nutrition look, uh, what am I doing to spiritually nurture myself, so kind of what's my plan? That's where we're going to feel some hope. And let's kind of maybe walk through as our time winds down, Dr. Jantz, some of the, the first steps that people need to, to take to begin to, to take better care of themselves. Well, one of the things is um, look at um, how am I doing the basics in my, uh, my sleep. I used to work in sleep research. I can tell you that uh, sleep and working through the sleep stages is pretty important. What's my pre-sleep routine? What am I doing as far as you know, each night uh, decreasing stimulation on my brain? Um, what am I doing with my emotions? Uh, am I starting to carry around a lot of anger, frustration? Is it turning into resentment and bitterness? So maybe I need to write out um, a commitment to myself. And uh, for me, uh, I'm going to write out a daily action plan. I'm going to draw little boxes like I did when I was in elementary school, and I'm going to check off the things I've done. That may sound silly, but engage uh, yourself in actually writing down what your daily goals are. Um, and if you find, man, you know, three weeks have passed, and I I'm not pulling this off, there is a time. There is a time where I need to ask for help, uh, because on this continuum of chronic stress that, that we're on, you know, if you keep going, it's going to get into some despair. So what I want you to do is, um, if you can't, you know, seem to manage this and self-care is really not working out well and you feel out, you're feeling those effects of that depression and anxiety, it's time to ask for some help. 
And, you know, as I mentioned, so much of our social networking support group, so to speak, is is sort of missing because we're sheltering in place. And so we're kind of cut off from a lot of those avenues up to and including even going to church and, and being able to, to share with intimates at church. Is it important right now if somebody begins to feel like, you know, I don't think I'm managing this well to, as you suggest, really intentionally uh, seek out the help of a professional, even at a time when perhaps we're we're less likely to to even go to the dentist for fear of COVID nineteen. <laughs> and how do we how yeah. do we go about determining when when I've reached that point that I really need to maybe pick up the phone and get a professional's opinion? Really, if it's if it's gone on for you and a month has passed, uh, I think I would begin the process of gathering information. Uh, the more fear that stays in my life, the more I become immobilized. Fear paralyzes. So it could be, you know, even, I mean, I've got a lot of good, helpful information on the website. As It's a free resource. Uh, maybe I need to gather more. Uh, maybe I need to find out, okay, um, if I don't do something now, where's this taking me? And so begin the process of gathering information. Uh, make a little bit of progress each day. Uh, maybe I'm going to call and interview a couple people that, uh, that, you know, could help me with this. Uh, help. I'll tell you right now, help is available, and I'm hearing people say, I wish I wouldn't have waited so long. Mm. I wish I wouldn't have waited so long. And if you wait longer, let me ask you this, Doctor. Do, do you? Is it like being stuck in cement? You know, the kid that <laughs> didn't realize it's fresh cement and walks through it, and suddenly you're paralyzed thinking, okay, I've made this huge mess. <laughs> And yeah. for me to extract myself from this mess, I'm going to have to make a, more of a mess. So suddenly you're kind of frozen by fear. You're not quite sure what to do. You're embarrassed in the moment. But the longer you stand there, the greater the opportunity for the concrete to harden, thus cementing that horrible position that you're in, no pun intended. Well, yeah, and we get stuck, and it's hard to get out of it. So that, that's a good example of that, Absolutely. Well, Doctor, we appreciate both the time and the insights, and I want to remind people that there are lots of resources available through Dr. Jantz's website at aplaceofhope.com. That's aplaceofhope.com. And as we've suggested, listen, I, I don't think anybody is immune from from feeling awkward about all that's going on, and there's been that increased sense of being vulnerable, and there's been stress, and maybe it's impacted your sleep, and you're concerned about losing your job, or if you've lost your job, where the next rent check, the next mortgage payment is coming from. Um, the fact that we're feeling kind of off kilter right now is normal and natural. But to stay there and to allow it to impact in a negative fashion our sense of well-being and worth and our relationships, well, that's not natural. And so if you reach the point where you're feeling like you're stuck and you've made off made that checklist, as Dr. Jantz suggested, and you feel as if after 20, 30 days you're making no good progress or maybe you're feeling even worse, then it's time to reach out, find a little bit of help. Don't be embarrassed by it. It's important that we all engage in not only caring for each other, but also to ourselves during these stressful times. Dr. Greg Jantz, founder of the Center for Counseling and Health Resources, A Place of Hope. Information available again and resources too at aplaceofhope.com. That's aplaceofhope.com. 
531 from KFAX. Get you a look at traffic right now from the KFAX Traffic Center. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. While we might be lamenting the impact of COVID-19 here in the United States, a country like Russia is not that far, frankly, behind us in terms of the kind of devastating impact of Russia number four uh, behind India, Brazil, and, of course, COVID central, the United States, sadly enough. Russia has over 86,000 cases, 14,000 deaths so far, but the real story that the numbers do not really reveal is the number of people that have been impacted, their employment suddenly disappeared. There have been shutdowns and closures all across Russia and the former Soviet Union. And sadly there, particularly in Russia, the sense of safety nets such as what we have here in the United States um, are very poor, if at certain levels completely non-existent. It is against the backdrop of this tragic situation that the door of opportunity to minister to felt needs and thus be able to bring the good news of the gospel has been taking place all across Russia. Joining me now with the report is Eric Mock. Eric is vice president of ministry operations for the Slavic Gospel Association. And Eric, good to have you with us. Well, Craig, it's great to be with you. Thank you uh, for taking the time to have me. This is uh, this is an interesting territory, an interesting part of the world to to work in. In the uh, uh, early '90s, with the collapse of the Soviet Union, there was a, a huge opening and a window of opportunity to share the good news of the gospel. And of course, Russians just flocked to the foot of Calvary in droves. They were so hungry after more than seventy years of of godless communism. Um, sadly, then, too, into that sort of spiritual vacuum came uh, many of the cults to the point where there had been clampdowns on many ministries, both the legitimate ones and uh, those in the, the cult side of the column. And uh, today, Russians are a little bit more weary uh, after 30 years of, of openness and freedom. And yet, in spite of that, uh, the capacity of the Holy Spirit to impact lives there remains strong. And I understand that it's against, as I suggested, uh, the tragedy of the impact of COVID-19 uh, across Russia and so much of the former Soviet Union that Slavic Gospel Association has really had an opportunity to work with partners in country uh, and impact lives for Christ. Well, it's an amazing time. The one constant is that God is always and has been building His Church. So you have faithful believers who endured under the years of communism, and they built the foundation by which today's Church is established on. And so with Slavic Gospel Association, our our work is getting behind what God was already doing. And so now what we see in the in Russia today is where society seems to be uh, progressing in degrees away from uh, from God and, and embracing commerce more, uh, the, the the God of money, uh, at this time, in the middle of some kind of a uh, hardship like we're seeing under the pandemic, we're seeing these churches rise up and proclaim the gospel, and we're seeing people come to faith. What should be a disastrous time for many people actually is a time in which they're finding hope, and the gospel's going forward. So uh, it is it is a, a very unique and a, a, and 
forgive me for saying this, an exciting time. Russians, of course, aside from the, the oligarchs and oligarchs that we hear about occasionally, but most Russians live a, a pretty mundane and, and, quite frankly, humble life in terms of their, their economic status and, and, uh, and lifestyle. And so if on a good day they kind of have a month-to-month existence, I can't imagine what they must be going through when they've lost jobs and there have been closures and shelter-in-place orders, much as we've had here in the United States, and suddenly that income goes to zero. You're exactly right. Uh, actually, a lot of times when we're watching video or news wires, uh, information about Russia, what we're really seeing is Moscow. And 85% of the wealth, as I understand it, is in the state or the region of Moscow. So for a mass majority of Russia, they don't see that wealth. Uh, a lot of people, will, the further east you go across Russia, the more difficult to live it becomes. And so people do not have a safety net. They do not have an assurance or even a healthcare system that's really able to help them, uh, an assurance of, of, of financial support uh, after losing their jobs. And so what we see is a people uh, that the, the impact on our life is not just the pandemic, but the impact is also the poverty and the frustration and, and the difficulty that comes from that. And most of the stories we hear about the churches that are coming forward and taking um, groceries and the gospel to people are finding people that are, can't even put food on the table. Uh, one woman uh, said that she was on the edge of hanging herself because she could not even prepare a meal for her children. And it was the church that was able to come and uh, meet that need and, and introduce her to the God who is, uh, who is the only source of salvation that we have. Are you finding a true softening in terms of uh, the heart and the ability to, to share the gospel? And again, it isn't to suggest that, that Russians are any more or less open to the gospel than anybody else on planet Earth. Uh, but as I said before, there's been a lot of influence. Um, we're seeing now some of the first generations uh, that have lived under a time that wasn't under uh, complete communism, and yet there are degrees to which Russia does not enjoy uh, complete democracy nor complete religious freedom there. And so with all of that, how, how open are they now to receiving the gospel a, 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 in the wake of COVID-19? Well, with, in any country, of course, and, and you notice that uh, the, the biggest enemy of the gospel is self, uh, are hard hearts. But when something like this pandemic comes in and economic hardship and suffering, very often it breaks down the self-reliance. And so what we're seeing is actually uh, what many are terming uh, even a revival. Uh, we're seeing that the, the Lord is using these difficult days uh, to knock back all those things that people uh, do to make them self-reliant. And in that, uh, the Lord is moving in many lives and seeing them come to faith. In fact, what we're hearing is people that had even been against Christianity and laughed at people that followed Christianity who find themselves suffering in poverty are now praising God because because it was the Church and the people of the Church who were the only people who were stepping up to make a difference. So yeah, I'd say there wow. is that softening by God's grace. 
that that uh, that certainly is very encouraging news and uh, in in terms of these partnerships i made reference to the fact that you're working with uh, a lot of ministries and churches boots on ground there uh, across all of of russia how how do you go about um, getting food in and handling distribution things of that sort well actually from a partnership point of view let me uh, it, it's it's a little more narrow than that uh, SJ was founded in 1934 uh, specifically to work with uh, the Russian-speaking peoples in the in the Soviet Union, and now underneath all of these, uh, underneath the uh, the pressure and the persecution of the Soviet Union was uh, the Church, the Russian Baptist Church, that endured in teaching and preaching uh, the gospel message. And so now, what we do, SGA serves the Bible teaching churches. So we have this relationship that we've had with them for years. So it was already in place. We didn't have to create anything new. We we have ministries in serving these churches since 1934. And so when the crisis came, the churches, we were able to equip the churches, and we heard results coming back within two to three days, uh, where the churches were waiting to move out. So rather than forging brand new partnerships, we were built on the backs of the faithful Bible churches that we have been serving uh, since the beginning. And so it's pretty exciting. It was easy and straightforward. And as of this week, we have helped churches assist people in providing over 1.6 million meals uh, in Russia and the countries of the former Soviet Union. So it's a, And that's over the last three months. So it's been pretty profound. And what we do is we help the churches financially. They're purchasing food in their uh, in their own cities that's helping the local economy uh the churches themselves are contributing as well to match and and even extend beyond what's provided and then they are the faithful believers who are going out and making a difference in the community because ultimately we count on the church being the the system of follow-up and discipleship so everything we do is in the name of christ and using uh is seeing the church as the arms and legs of the gospel well, exciting things are going on in spite of the tragedy of COVID-19, and uh, we're delighted to hear uh, the good news of the impact of the gospel and the encouragement that it's bringing to the lives of so many across the former Soviet Union. More information, and certainly we encourage you to uh, to stand with and pray for the Slavic Gospel Association. Information available on the web at SGA, Slavic Gospel Association, SGA. Dot O-R-G. Well, thanks to Eric Mock, Vice President of Ministry Operations, for that update on behalf of Slavic Gospel Association. 547 on the clock. We're going to get you an update here on traffic right now from the KFAX Traffic Center. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, welcome back to the conversation. I want to pivot to a topic that I talked about several weeks ago, and many of you responded to concerns over Assembly Bill 2218 and its proposal that essentially would set aside millions of dollars here in the middle of a significant economic shortfall that every state of the union is suffering from, quite frankly, but particularly California, uh, to, to basically create a fund that would provide for the whole gambit of treatment, quote-unquote, for gender dysphoria that runs everywhere from providing resources to nonprofits, hospitals, 
healthcare clinics, read Planned Parenthood, other medical providers that would deal with everything from cross-sex hormones to mastectomies for minors, you name it. It's a crazy list. And how we could consider doing this, not only in light of the economic challenges, but most importantly, the emotional potential impact on young children is just unbelievable. Well, we thought AB 2218 was dead on arrival. Now we discover that it's not. Details from Jonathan Keller, president of the California Family Council. And Jonathan, I, it never ceases to amaze me what comes out of Sacramento. And we thought we had beaten this one down, but apparently they're coming back for a second round. Tell us what's going on. Well, first off, thanks so much for having me. It's always good to be with you and your listeners. Yeah, I have to admit, we kind of didn't see this one coming, and that's because the legislators themselves, Dr. Richard Pan and his own spokesperson, said that this bill was done for the year. Uh, they pointed out, rightfully, that the legislature has been tasked with, for the rest of this year by Governor Newsom, only dealing with bills that are urgent, that have to deal with coronavirus relief. And yet, somehow... The president pro tempore of the Senate, Tony Atkins, and the chairman of the Senate Health Committee, Dr. Richard Pan, have decided they, they suddenly found enough time in their schedule that next Monday they are scheduling another hearing where they are going to present this bill, AB 2218, and they are going to try to jam it through the waning weeks of the legislative session. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, the, uh, Craig, everything that you said is absolutely true. This, this bill, beyond the fiscal constraints that our state is facing, the idea that we would say as a state that young people, minors, would be able to receive, uh, quote unquote, gender affirming health care paid for by the state of California is, is really unconscionable. Uh, there's a great book that has recently come out by Wall Street Journal reporter Abigail Schreier, and the title of her book relating to these types of mutilating surgeries and radical, untested hormone treatments, uh, the title of that book is Irreversible Damage. And really, just the title says it all. The, the, the concept that, Craig, we don't allow young people, even with parental consent, even if they have a parent takes them, a 17-year-old cannot go to a tanning booth in the state of California and decide that they want to get a tan. And yet, Planned Parenthood on their own website says that with a parent's consent at age 16, 17, they will prescribe cross-sex hormones. They will provide, prescribe gender-bending hormones on the first visit. And Planned Parenthood is very specific to note, don't worry, you don't need to even bring a letter from a mental health professional. Just show up with your parent, and we'll be happy to take care of you. Wow. And, you know, at a time when children are developing, they're trying to figure out who they are, why they are, what life is all about, the, the fact that an adult would help to facilitate a life-altering decision at an age when child can't sign a contract can't get married, can't vote, can't go to war, can't do any of it. Why? Because we recognize they're children, and you need to reach a certain level of, of emotional maturity to make those kinds of decisions. And sadly, these children, they're children. How this doesn't fit in the category of child abuse, quite frankly, Jonathan, is just simply beyond me. 
Well, absolutely. I think we would rightfully say that if there was a widespread effort in the state of California to, uh, you know, lower the marriage age or to uh, change the ability for young people to uh, voluntarily consent to sex, uh, I mean, if there, if there was, I, I realize that some of those things are already in place, but that is, those types of things are much less life-altering than this type of a procedure. Um, the reality is, I, I don't want to be graphic for your listeners, I realize it's a family show, but if you go on our website, californiafamily.org, you can read about the, the very extreme types of procedures that would be authorized and indeed funded by this bill. I mean, we are talking about permanently removing healthy body parts of young uh, boys and girls, men and women, in their teens. And, I mean, again, without being graphic, these are not types of body parts that grow back. These are not types of body parts that can be easily reconstructed or reattached if someone changes their mind later. Once they are gone, it is irreversible damage. And if a child decides at 15, 16, 17 that they want to go into a Planned Parenthood clinic and they can convince their parents uh, or convince a judge that this is what they want, if those same uh, people, those same individuals decide just a couple of years down the road that now, you know what, they'd like to have a family, well, there's no option. There is no ability for them to either uh, give birth in the case of females or to um, impregnate someone with, with their wife in the future. Uh, in the case of males, it is it, it's a one way street. And, and sadly, I mean, be, beyond the irreparable physical harm, the irreparable emotional damage that can be done by all of this is just shocking. Not least of which that we haven't talked about being able to set aside money at a time when the state is trying to figure out how they're going to close a multi billion dollar budget shortfall. Uh, and and it it's almost the equivalent of the the entire budget, isn't it? If I recall, Jonathan, isn't it like fifty, sixty billion dollars that they're trying to come up with? That's what I've heard. Something in the fifty-five billion dollar range. So um, we're fifty-five billion dollars short. We know that that revenue to the state has dropped significantly during the business closures because of COVID-19. On and on the list goes, and yet we're going to manage to find money in the budget to set up a fund to help broaden the pockets of Planned Parenthood and ultimately do irreparable harm to children who are making significant decisions that not even adults should be making without significant insight from a health care or a, a um, emotion and, and psychological care professional. So it, it's shocking that this is going on, but yet here we are once again. The big question, Jonathan, what do we need to do to respond to this? I would just beg and plead with all your listeners, uh, please go to our website, californiafamily.org, and look at the top story we have on there. There are names, email addresses, and phone numbers of all nine senators on that committee. Uh, there are two Republicans. There are nine Democrats. Every single one of them, every single one of them needs to hear from you. I, I, am, I am cautiously optimistic that both of the Republicans on that committee, State Senator Shannon Grove, State Senator Melissa Melendez, I believe that they are going to vote against this bill. 
but they need to still hear from you. They need to know that there is an avalanche of opposition to this bill from every one of your listeners and everybody else from around the state. They need to have the courage to speak up and to speak out, to tell their colleagues that this is not the, the step that we want to be taking as a state. Yeah, indeed so. And uh, we need to get a hold of them real soon because they're going to be going on a recess here and they're trying to get this thing pushed in um, quickly. And I think they also think that if they can get it done quickly, nobody's going to notice. Uh, you can get more information by going online to californiafamily.org. That's californiafamily.org. We're talking about Assembly Bill 2218-2218. And uh, again, we uh, anticipate a, a hearing coming up next Monday, and uh, this is once again going to bring it back for consideration in spite of the fact that we've been told only emergency bills, urgent bills related to COVID-19 that were going to cost the state money would be considered, and they've done an about-face on us as I assume they think we're not paying any attention. Let's show them that we are and urge your member of the Assembly to vote against Assembly Bill 2218. Information and details on the web at californiafamily.org. That's californiafamily.org. Our thanks to Jonathan Keller, the president of the California Family Council, for that update. Speaking of updates, here at uh, just a skosh past 6 o'clock, let's you get you an update on traffic. <laughs> 